Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. One of our favorite verses, one of my favorite verses. You know this verse. Hallelujah. Let me pull it up in the uh, New American real quick. New American. Glory to God. I've got it in a different. There it is. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first, everyone say first, his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided to you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be be provided to you. In context, if you read the passages prior, he's talking actually about the the case of worry and anxiety. He says, do not worry about what you're going to eat. Do not worry about what you're going to wear. Do not worry where you're going to live, how you're going to clothe yourself. He talks about if he can... Uh, bring food for the sparrows, if he can clothe the fields and the valleys, right? That who are we that we should be worried or anxious or concerned about any of those issues? And then he gives us this consideration that our seeking is what determines where our worry or our concern is. And what we're seeking determines if we are worried, if we're anxious, if we're uh, weary in these last days, remember we're, we're taking these Wednesdays to kind of talk about the approach of the church uh, in these last days, in these end times, um, not only as a response, um, you know, because many times when we talk about the church responding to things, it kind of puts us in a defensive mode. But you and I are actually on the offensive in the kingdom of God. We should be proactively going after things, not waiting for things to go awry and then deciding to put our armor on real quick and let's get our scriptures together and let's, you know, y'all remember the day after 9-11, right? That was a Tuesday. Wednesday, churches were full. I mean, balconies were filled. They were having to blow the dust off the pews because they hadn't had anybody sit in those seats, uh, you know, that that often. Um, That's a response, to destruction. That's a response to something going wrong. But you and I ought to be prepared, forearmed. To be forewarned, right, is to be forearmed. It means that we're in preparation, and not just in preparation for something attacking us, but in preparation to go after things. We should be pulling down strongholds. We should be pushing back darkness. I'm not talking about going and looking for evil, but we know it's there and we are ready and armed and prepared to go and take territory for the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus said? He said, occupy until I come. Occupy. I'm telling you right now, that is not a passive word. That is not a sit and wait word. That's a go and take word. He's looking for a church that's not sitting and waiting. He's looking for a church that's going and taking. Amen. Going and taking and pushing back and 
tearing down and uprooting and challenging the, the brokenness in the world and the darkness in the world. And so, again, it's easy. We're talking about this condition of the church where we find ourselves passive. We find ourselves detached. Uh, we find ourselves in this response. Um, I'll give you another word, apathetic. Apathy. Why? Because darkness drains. Darkness pulls. This is why I keep referring to this in Acts chapter 4. After Peter and John had encountered the, uh, you know, once they raised up the lame man in Acts chapter 3, in Acts chapter, uh, the rest of Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, they're standing before the council, right? And they're threatening them with their lives. And ultimately they say, do not preach in the name of Jesus again. They give them the threat. And they say, well, you do what you got to do. We're going to keep doing what we got to do. And they let them go. And what did they do? Did they go and uh, isolate and run away in fear? Did they go find their corners and hide out so they wouldn't be able to be found? Did they say, you know, we better just take it easy, let this die? No, what did they do? They went back, number one, to their own, com their own company, their own community. And then they prayed. And they didn't pray a prayer of escape. They prayed a prayer of make us even more boldful or more boldness, more bold to proclaim the message, to proclaim the kingdom of God. And we want to continue performing these signs and wonders that got us in trouble in the first place. I love that. They prayed for more of what got them in trouble. You want to, you want to know what the uh, uh, response and position of the church ought to be when we're challenged and when we're when there's pushback and, and when their darkness is trying to move us into fear and intimidation, which I'm going to get into that uh, uh, not next week because we won't have midweek next week. Everyone say no midweek before Thanksgiving. Okay, we'll be back the following week. Uh, so um, maybe we'll get into it that week or one of the weeks following that. Because that's what's happening. There's a spirit of intimidation trying to creep into the church and trying to push us into a corner. Okay. But you notice in their response, they went back to their own company, prayed for more boldness, prayed that more signs would take place, and then what? The Holy Spirit came upon them again. That was only two chapters removed from the Holy Spirit coming upon them initially in Acts chapter 2. I'm telling you right now, guys, if we don't have a, a continual filling of the Spirit and a continual refreshing of the Spirit, we're no good for the kingdom of God. We're just not going to be any good. We're going to be scared. We're going to be fearful. We're going to be weary. We're going to be drained. Come on. The, the things that are happening out there, they are pulling on you, and they're demanding on you. And you're going to stand, and you're going to fight the good fight. But when you fight a fight, Guess what? Weariness wants to try to come upon you. That's why with the first passage we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul was admonishing the church, if you don't work, you don't eat. Meaning if we don't stay pursuant about the mission of the kingdom, we're not going to receive the harvest. That's what he's talking about. And then he also says this, don't grow weary while doing good. If you think that doing good things Seeing miracles, seeing signs, seeing deliverance, seeing areas change is it, it, just going to keep you 
invigorated with life. He says, no, you can grow weary even while doing good. I'm reminded reminded of the prophet Elijah. That just the very next day after calling down fire on that uh, altar in the middle of a drought, right? Who's God? Let's find out whose God is the real God, the one true God. The very next day, he gets a threat from the queen, Jezebel. He's off running for his life, and he's, he's running so hard, and, and, and he's so intimidated by that that he's actually crying out. To, it's a suicide note. God, just take my life. Just take me out of here. I don't even want to be here. There's nobody else standing up for you. I'm the only one doing it. That's a, that's a lot of what Christians are feeling in these. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. And what did God tell Elijah? Man, I got 7,000 more just like you. You're not all by yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not all by yourself. But see, when we're not coming to our, co- our company, when we're not taking these times of refreshing and you isolate, you what? You think you're all by yourself. Think you're all by yourself. And so with that, come these opportunities to be anxious, to be fearful, to be worried. Um, and, and not even so much worried about the mission of the kingdom. We know that's ultimately going to work out, but, but worried about what's my role and how can I respond and what can I do in the midst of all this, all this depravity, all this destruction, all this pushback on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, we learned last week, it, it enters, makes entrance violently, forcefully, right? No, nothing passive about it. We don't just quietly show up on the scene and say, don't mind me, I'm just doing kingdom business. I'll just be in the background. If, if you need anything, I'll be back here taking prayer requests. No, it makes a forceful advance, forceful entrance, knocking doors in. What can I change around here? What can we take back for the kingdom of God? And then it says, in response, violent men want to uh, push back or oppose it just as violently as we show up on the scene. It's forceful. It's a forceful advance. So we understand that in the midst of this, Jesus is saying here, make sure your seeking is in line. Make sure what you're seeking, you're seeking first the kingdom of God. Because right now we're seeing a, a forceful opposition to the kingdom of God. And it's, it's being demonstrated in every arena of life. Ultimately, guys, what, what we're seeing uh, happen is anything that, the, that has a biblical stance or biblical approach. It's being challenged. It's being undermined. It's being devalued. It's being questioned. And it's not just being questioned in the world. It's being questioned in the church. And when we break down the, the moral compass, the values, what we are built on, what we are supposed to stand on, what the, the, the keeping the main thing, the main thing, what are the things that should not change? I call them non-negotiables. When we start questioning those things, then you're serving a kingdom that can be shaken. And God hasn't changed his position on on anything that we think we're reevaluating and and deconstructing and well I don't know about that I don't know if he really meant that and no he says seek first 
the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first his reign and his rule is what that means. God's kingdom or the kingdom of God is ultimately his reign and his rule. His values, his agenda, it's his intentions, it's his motives, it's, uh, it is his, what he values, what the king values is what we should be valuing. What the king promotes, we should be promoting. And on the flip side, what the king is not promoting, we should not be promoting. What's he talking about? Alignment. He's talking about this oneness. He's talking about one and the same. Jesus saying, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. I don't go anywhere that I'm not told to go. I don't say anything I'm not told to say. I don't do anything I'm not instructed to do. His life demonstrated such an alignment because of his seeking. You make a big deal about uh, Jesus's ministry and what he did on the ground. But he only did what he did on the ground with the multitudes because of what he did on the mountaintop in isolation. What's he doing up there? Seeking. He's not just isolating to get away. He's not isolating to be alone. He's not isolating to, let me just take some downtime. He's getting with the Father. He's seeking first the kingdom. Maybe one of the greatest demonstrations of seeking first the kingdom was in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he's arrested. And he says, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will. What is that? Alignment. In that moment, he's what? Seeking the the king's intention, his values, his purpose, his reasons. He's seeking first the kingdom. Then the second thing that a lot of times we tend to look over or run over real quick like it's a it's a word that we can't mention this is a word that that people in in the church today don't have a full understanding of he says seek first his kingdom and his righteousness so seek first his kingdom meaning i'm 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 seeking his rule his reign not my way of doing things but your way of doing things not my will, but your will, and then righteousness, which is now me coming into right alignment with the governing authority. That's all that righteousness means. Righteousness is not a scriptural term, a biblical term, a Christian term. Righteousness is a government term. It's a kingdom term. It means to be in right alignment. I seek first your rule. I seek first your way. I seek first your purpose. I lay down my agenda. I lay down my plan. Then I rightly align with it and say, okay, if you instruct me to go, I'll go. It does no good to seek first the kingdom and then choose unrighteousness. It does us no good to seek first his values and his purpose and his plan and then choose to come out of alignment or not align ourselves with the instructions that he gives. Righteousness is rightly aligned with the governing authority. Today, the the greatest area of compromise, the greatest area of conflict for the church today is this area of righteousness and unrighteousness. It is 
the, the hinge upon which everything else in the kingdom swings. If, if we are operating in unrighteousness, the whole rest of the mission is thrown off. The whole, our efforts, our effect, our influence on the earth is being compromised today for unrighteousness. And there's greater pressure today, maybe than ever before, to live in unrighteousness and not rightly align with the governing authority. He says, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness. He puts the same value. The and is an equalizer. It's not lowering it. You got to seek the kingdom and seek to be in right alignment with it. And when we do that, he says this. When you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things, what? All the things that we worry about, all the things that we concern ourselves with, all the things that we need and all the things that we want, all these things will be provided to you. I want to read this in the the Amplified. But seek, watch this, aim at and strive after. Aim at and strive after, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness. Here it is, his way of doing and being right. And then all these things taken together will be given you besides. Now, see, we love the back end of that verse. That's why we rush through the righteousness part. I've even heard some quote it without including the and his righteousness. We'll just say, but seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added. And we skip over the and his righteousness. That's a pretty important part, I think. He says to aim at and strike. That means make it your target, make it your goal. First of all, his kingdom. And this is the funny thing. It's not seek first his kingdom and then secondly, seek everything else. You'll find if you would seek first the kingdom, that's all the seeking you'll ever need to do. (laughs) Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. We love this back end and then all these things taken together will be given you. It is dangerous to serve a God that keeps his promises, but not his commands. And today the church wants to serve a God that keeps his promises, but is iffy on his commands. We want a God that, God, you said you would. God, you said I would have. God, you said you would bless. God, you said you would do. But then when it comes to the commands, are you sure about that? Is that really what you meant? And when we live that way in the church, when we live that way, We compromise everything else beyond. We compromise our influence. We compromise our efforts. There are are sectors of society and there are areas where we need to be making influence. Y'all ever heard the the, the seven mountains of society or the seven mountains of influence? I, I can't name them all. I know business, entertainment, education, family, uh, religion or church, right? And obviously there's some more. We should be making influence in every single one of those. Government is one of them, guys. I said government is one of them. 
But how many times have you seen an athlete that writes, I can do all things through Christ on a tennis shoe, but he's not living righteously? How many times have we seen an actor or actress get up behind a podium receiving an award? First of all, I want to give uh, gratitude to my Lord and Jesus, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but their life doesn't depict righteousness. There's a compromise that takes place. There's a, 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 a lack of credibility that shows up now. The, the reputation of the church is on the line when these things take place. Influence is compromised. It's, it's, it's hypocrisy. We know what that is. It's, it, hypocrisy is when your heart and your words don't align. It's when your heart and your words don't align. We've got to address this righteousness issue. Why is that? Because 1 Timothy chapter 3 says this, 1 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 14. I'm writing these things to you. Paul's speaking to Timothy, writing to Timothy, hoping to come to you before long. He's writing from prison. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one should act in the household of God. Well, God knows my heart. It's amazing how many times we act like God has no uh, value for actions and behavior, but yet he does. And we're going to find out why in just a minute. But he says how you should act in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, here it is, the pillar and support of the truth. The pillar and support of the truth. Living righteously for the church is not simply a matter of, okay, I'm doing the right thing, so I'll be accepted by God, I'll be approved by God. And when, when I die, I'll have lived a good life and go to heaven. You recognize we are upholding something. We are upholding the value system in the kingdom of God. We are upholding and keeping in place what right that's what a, you don't want a pillar that is movable, shakable. You don't want a pillar that is in this position one day and in another position that a pillar is immovable. This is the standard, and you and I ought to be setting the standard. I'm telling you right now, the world is looking for the standard. They are looking for the standard. This is what we talk about when we say, you know, drawing a line in the sand. It's what we talk about when we're, when we're influencing or emphasizing, rather, the, 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 the influence that the church has on the world if we don't set the standard, they're not going to set the standard. You and I are responsible for setting the standard of the kingdom of God. The Amplified reads this verse uh, this way. If I am detained, you may know how people ought to conduct themselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and stay the prop and support of the truth. I mean, you know as well as I do, truth is on 
trial. Truth is up for, truth is a moving target. It's whatever you want it to be, whenever, it, it doesn't even make sense, the stuff that they're trying to take a stab at today. And if we're not supporting truth, upholding truth, being a pillar of righteousness, guys, we're actually contributing to the confusion and the chaos in the world today. I'm not talking about how the world behaves. They're in unrighteousness. They can't be held to the same standard you and I are held to. They're in darkness. They, the, the best on, on, their, on their best day, they're still in darkness. When they, when they do good things or nice things, they're still doomed for an eternity separated from Christ. But you and I in the church, you and I now becoming a part of, of, of this, this influence and this uh, agenda and this mission of heaven coming to earth, righteousness is a huge component of this. Living righteously, living holy, putting on demonstration what righteousness and right standing with heaven looks like. And unfortunately, we've seen too much compromise in the house of God. Unfortunately, we, the, 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 the church, we're talking about getting our voice back. One way we're going to get our voice back is by upholding and remaining a pillar of truth. Because every time we compromise truth, we compromise our voice of reason. And it doesn't matter if we're spirit-filled. It doesn't matter if we speak in tongues. It doesn't matter if, if, if we go to church every hour the doors are open. It doesn't matter if we have all the religious activity. The, the religious group was the number one conflict for Jesus during his ministry, during his time on earth. It was people that had it all together. We just ministered on, I think it was a Sunday just recently, about Paul and his religious resume, right? I was a Pharisee of Pharisees since I was eight years old. Knew, knew the, uh, the, the Torah in and out, knew the Old Testament, had it all together, man. I mean, if, if anybody measured up, I measured up with religious activity. But he said, I count all that as dung. I count all that as loss for the sake of knowing him, knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. We've got to be a church that is, you know how we're going to restore trust in the church again? Is when we become the pillar and the support of truth that we ought to be. There's no amount of miracles, signs, and wonders that we can produce or exhibit that will ever outweigh the value for righteousness. You can ask Moses about that. The water still came out of the rock, but out of disobedience, out of a misalignment, out of not aligning with the governing authority. And he was held accountable for that. And we can call on the revivals and we can call, you know what we need a revival of? We need a revival of kingdom values once again. We need a restored value in the church of what this word means and stop drawing the line and towing the line. Or stop questioning or stop allowing and stop 
tolerating. Uh, we've got this graphic that I want to show you because this is how unrighteousness becomes so prevalent. It starts in, in small stages. We got that graphic, guys? Step number one, overlook evil. The world wants to pressure you into, at least if you're not going to promote it and celebrate it, just overlook it. Don't call it out. Don't identify it. Don't say anything about it. It starts with overlooking evil, but from there it moves into permitting it, allowing it, tolerating it. And you know as well as I do, what's tolerated one day becomes normal the next day. Our children are having to engage things as normal activity that when you and I were growing up was abnormal but allowed. Abnormal but tolerated. Overlook, permit. From there, we legalize it. See, if you don't think the laws of our land have anything to do with righteousness and unrighteousness, it is the vehicle. It is the avenue through which unrighteousness is executed and unrighteousness is brought into a land and brought into a territory. There's a reason why this country was founded on biblical values and biblical principles. Recognizing what a marriage looks like, recognizing what a family looks like, recognizing what it means to treat your neighbor correctly, valuing one another, regardless of color and creed and all the other things. There's a reason why these things were put in place in a biblical position. But by legalizing evil, from there, we end up promoting it. See, it's one thing if it's, I don't agree with it, but it's allowable for you. Pretty soon, those people are going to push it on us like we need to be not just allowing it, but accepting it, promoting it, and then from there, celebrating it. I'm telling you right now, the world will throw parties for unrighteousness. I mean, you think about where our country's at today and some of the stuff that's happening. We still haven't even touched what Sodom and Gomorrah was demonstrating. And they did that without Instagram and YouTube and all the pornography websites. They, they did that all on their own without technology. Whew. Celebrating it. They're happy living in unrighteousness. They're happy promoting evil. They, 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 they encourage it. And then the last step, which is where the church ends up, if we remain fixed and immovable, we become persecuted. The Bible does not say you'll be persecuted for unrighteousness. It says you'll be persecuted for righteousness. You recognize, especially in the day that we're living in, we speak up and we have something to say or we give a biblical viewpoint, a biblical approach, and remain immovable on some of the positions and the postures that people are willing to take in the name of acceptance and in the name of tolerance. And you're going to get pushback. We're going to get that pushback. But the Bible says that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The Bible says that the greatest 
avenue for bringing freedom to people's lives is unveiling truth, opening their eyes to the truth. Well, that last one, the persecution, is what causes the church to become passive. You know, I've told you time and time again that the church grew in the book of Acts in the midst of crisis. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples? He said, you'll go, uh, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, have power, and then you'll be my witnesses in what? You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and ultimately the uttermost parts of the earth. You know how that happened? Persecution. Persecution was like kicking the anthill and scattering the church all over. So rather than just staying in their little huddled up place in Jerusalem in the upper room, and persecution came quick, didn't it? Day one. Day one. 3,000 came into the kingdom, but we forget that there were people mocking. There were people ridiculing. There were people making fun of. There were people saying, these guys are just drunk. These, they, this is a big mess. This is a big racket. And then, of course, right on after that, you, you heal a lame man. You think everybody would be throwing a party about that, promoting that, celebrating that. We need more of that. No. Persecution. But it's literally what caused the church to spread. It's what caused the church to grow. It's what caused the church to reach into areas and and end up in places that they wouldn't have been without. See, comfort doesn't cause spreading. Comfort causes apathy. Comfort causes passiveness. Comfort causes detachment. Comfort causes, oh, I'll just lay here and just wait until Jesus comes. But this crisis, this persecution arises for his name's sake. And now all of a sudden the church is getting active. The church is getting busy. You know, we said last week the two the two positions or the two responses that a lot of Christian that a lot of believers are having right now is either one of extreme frustration and anger or one of detachment and passivity and apathy. But man, when that righteous anger, righteous indignation, righteous frustration arises, man, it's a call to action. It's a call to do something. And that last step might be the very thing that is the catalyst for the church going forth. We've got to get a heaven's perspective on this. We've got to get the kingdom's perspective on what's happening in our world today and what's happening in the church today. But the number one area that the the enemy wants the church to compromise is in righteousness and unrighteousness. It's in this level of devaluing and dishonoring God's system and God's way of doing things. If you go to Ephesians chapter 5, there's many passages and many places I could go that deal with this righteousness and unrighteousness. But Ephesians chapter 5 is a, a, a great place to start, a great place to be. Paul deals with this. If you remember in Ephesians, I, I love Ephesians. It's really the first book any new believer ought to go. I'd say any believer. If you've never really dug into Ephesians, even if you've been you know, in church and in the kingdom for a long time, Ephesians, the first three chapters tell you who you are 
And the last three chapters tell you what to do, right? And you can't know what to do until you know who you are. And the world wants to flip those. You don't know who you are until you know what to do. But God says, no, 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 no. You got to first discover who you are. You got to discover what you have. You got to discover who, whose you are, right? And so he covers that in chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. And then chapter four, chapter five, and chapter six, he starts working on, okay, now because of who you are, this is what you do. He deals with husbands and wives. He deals with employees and employers. He deals with servants and masters. He deals with government. He deals with all these different things to say, okay, now this is how we ought to operate. This is how we ought to act. This is how we ought to behave. I think it's in Ephesians chapter four. He says, put off the old man and put on the new man that's being renewed day by day. It's time for some new man to step in. Let's put off the old stuff. I'm telling you right now, I mean, you you just watch. The wages of sin is death. And people are receiving that paycheck day in and day out and don't even recognize the destruction they're bringing into their lives, into their homes, into their businesses, guys, into their ministries. Just in the last 24 months, I don't know how many pastors, pastors I've seen caught in adultery, doing this, money laundering, treating their employees horribly, don't know how to talk to people, burst of outrage and anger. Guys, we have got to get our flesh under control. We have got to get our flesh under control. Your flesh needs to submit to the Holy Spirit of God. Our flesh wants nothing to do with God and his kingdom. Wants nothing to do with the seek first his kingdom and his right. He wants nothing. He must be crucified. There's too many of us trying to convince our flesh to do godly things, and it wants nothing of it. It's pushing back every time. We got to stop being afraid to crucify the flesh. Shut that thing down. Don't give in to it. Don't contribute to it. Whichever one you feed gets stronger. Guys, we're, we're, we're battling things today that we should be overcoming. We, it shouldn't even be a question in our lives, guys. But I can also show over time where pastors and churches, they've made, they've made allowances for things out of fear of pushing people away. And then the ones that uphold the standard of the word, or at least the very fact of recognizing things that are deadly and harmful and need to be eliminated from your life because we know the destruction they bring, guys. We know the destruction. It might be just one casual social drink every now and then, but it's bringing destruction, God. It's tearing down. The enemy is using these things from the small stage to get us to the last stage. We're losing the battle on the level of tolerance and acceptance. We're losing the battle on, well, the majority's doing it, or it's, it, it's a popularity contest. We're losing battles battles because we rather appease man than please God. The flesh has got to die. 
Can we just say that? Can we say that in 2022? Can we raise a standard of righteousness that, man, the flesh has got to die? I'm not looking at that anymore. I'm not contributing to that anymore. I'm not listening to that anymore. I'm not surrounding myself with that anymore. I'm not dabbling in that anymore. I'm not towing the line in that anymore. You don't just fall into sin. I remember I, it, it, it was just the saddest thing. I was talking to an individual and he was giving me his story and the uh, story ended up in adultery. And this is how he told it to me. He said, I had 15 minutes of weakness. No, you didn't. No, you did not, sir. That might have been the action, but there was night after night, and there was thought after thought, and there was inception after inception, and there was a birthing process that took place, and it impregnated itself, and you gave birth to it in 15 minutes. But there's nine months of labor leading up to that. You could have shut this thing down. Red flags going at you. This is a believer we're talking about. I had 15 minutes of weakness. No, sir. That's what the enemy wants you to think. I just fell into it. No, you did not. You were towing the line. There were messages you were hiding. There were conversations you were dwelling on. There were thoughts that you were giving visuals to. There were things you weren't shutting down when they needed to be shut down. Can we talk about these things? We need a standard of righteousness again. Amen. This isn't for condemnation. Y'all know this. This is the Wednesday night crew. This is not condemnation. But until we address it the way the word addresses it, we're not going to solve it the way the word solves it. It's not dancing around this stuff anymore. It's killing us, and it's killing our influence, and it's crushing the, the, uh, the, the, the response that we could be seeing. I want to live a life that the world says, I got to have that. Whatever you've got, I got to have that. You know, one thing that we get commended on nonstop over the last two years, thank you for your boldness. Thank you for saying it the way it is. I think the world is tired of people dancing around subjects that they know I'm struggling with this, and if you would just give me the answer, I could pull myself out of it. We're, we're afraid of how we think they're going to respond. Well, I can't be that harsh. I can't be that direct. I can't just show it to them like it is. But, you know, I got to spend at least three to six months and build a relationship. Jesus was, you know, sinners were drawn to him, but he doesn't, he wasn't, go and sin no more. Jesus understood the balance between compassion and conviction. A compassion compassion that led to conviction. I don't want to be this way anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. We need a balanced church in compassion and conviction. Conviction is not a dirty word. Conviction is not a bad word. It's what allows change. It's what allows the renewing of the mind, which in turn transforms a life. In verse 1, he says, therefore, be imitators of God. I mean, how clear is that? (laughs) Be imitators of God. Why? He sets the standard. He sets the standard. We just simply seek first, buy into that standard and say, all right, I'm going to rightly align. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But sexual immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person, which amounts to an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. See that no one deceives you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Right there, he encourages us. Don't be deceived with someone trying to soften, someone trying to tolerate, someone trying to allow a lower form or a lower standard of living. He's letting them know. Guys, I know that the smallest of sins will doom us to hell. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But this is what I know. Even though all sins may be on the same level, the way you correct them and heal them are not. There are some that are going to take a stronger tenacity and a stronger drive and a a greater, we all need deliverance from sin and from the bondage of sin. But there are some that we're not giving the necessary attention to and that's why we're still struggling in it. There are some that grip a person much stronger than another. I've watched people, they'll put away this thing, no problem. I mean, it's done, done deal. But then there's this other thing for years, still battling, for years, still falling back into the trap. They'll get better and then they'll fall back in and they'll go over some time and they'll repent and they'll ask God to forgive them and then they'll fall. There are some things, we're going to have to learn how to deal with this thing from a spiritual level. One of the lies and deceptive tactics that the enemy crept in to the church over the last 20 years or so was he introduced us to natural measures rather than what can the Spirit of God do. And I'm not demeaning natural measures. We need therapists. We need godly counsel. We need uh, uh, sometimes, you know, some, some greater degrees of things to introduce, but only through the voice of the Holy Spirit. The enemy will always give you alternatives for the Holy Spirit. Yes, he will. Because the enemy works like this. I'm going to allow you to, to get healed just enough to think you're making progress, but yet I still got you on a chain. Still got you on the leash. Some doctors don't really want to see their patients healed. I'll go a step further. Some pastors don't really want to see their members delivered out of their own insecurity, out of their own need for people to always need them and be drawn to them. I just heard a pastor just this past weekend ministering along uh, along the lines of deliverance, actually, and he said, "Any, any ministry or any pastor or any church that draws you to them rather than the Holy Spirit is not a ministry set up by God. 
There are a lot of pastors, a lot of ministers, a lot of ministries that their own design is to keep you running back to them. It's almost like you get a fix on Sunday morning and by the, by the Saturday following, you'll always need a shepherd. Until Jesus comes, you're always going to need a shepherd, period. But I do not have the right to just give you just enough to get you back in here next Sunday. The only thing I can do for you that, that is in line with my assignment as a shepherd and overseer of this house is to promote the kingdom of God and to point you and direct you to the Holy Spirit. I am not your Holy Spirit. I will not be your Holy Spirit. And I will only speak in line with what the Holy Spirit's revealing and what the Holy Spirit is showing. Amen. Verse 7, I've got this one highlighted. Therefore, do not become partners. It's sad to say, but the church has partnered with evil. The church, in some ways, has partnered with this wickedness. I want to partner with the Holy Spirit. He's come to be my helper. But what are we partnered with? What are we in connection with? What are we partner? What are we in partnership with? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Y'all see that? That's the fruit of the light. That's the fruit yielded from a life that is partnered with the kingdom of God, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness. He says, what will it yield? It will yield goodness, it will yield righteousness, and it will yield truth. When we have improper partnerships, it affects the fruit that we yield. And we end up saying one thing, but doing and demonstrating another causing this compromise, causing this conflict, causing this confusion. Remember, you know what Jesus said about the Pharisees? He said, woe to you, every one of you that causes a child to stumble. It'd be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the sea. That's some pretty harsh words. That's pretty direct. Why? Through hypocrisy through a misalignment in my words and in my heart. Verse 10, as you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the useless deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So then be careful how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He says this, do not get drunk with wine in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to 
the Lord. Skip on down to verse 22 real quick. This is the essence of why he's emphasizing this need for righteousness. Wives, subject yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here it is, that he may sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Jesus is coming back for a spotless church, holy and blameless. The need for the righteous church couldn't be any more greater today than it has ever been. The need for a church that upholds the standard, values the standard, reveals the standard. If you give the enemy an inch, he'll take it a a mile. He'll take a mile. What, what, how does it go? It, it, sin will take you farther than you want to go. You'll pay more. Stay longer than you want it to. Sin does not have your best interests at heart. The enemy, the, the thief does what? He comes to steal to kill and to destroy. And guys, he's not just doing one of three. He's doing all three. He wants to steal and kill and destroy everything in its way. There are generations that are battling things because somebody introduced unrighteousness or did not keep the standard. The great thing about it is we have a righteous cause. We have a righteous king and you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is not something you have to strive for. This is not something you have to earn. This is not something you have to be anxious. Oh, how can I be right? You are the righteousness. So this ought to be the easiest thing for us guys to uphold this standard of righteousness. Be spotless. Be blameless. Be Holy as I am holy. Be imitators of God. Every one of you men in this room right now, every one of you men, whatever generationally has been introduced into your life and into your home and into your family, you have the authority to cut it off right now, today. Your children do not have to battle what you have battled, what your dad's battled, what your grandfather's battled, what your granddad, what your great-grandfather's battled. You can be the standard of righteousness and say, not an inch further, devil. This will be a godly house. This will be a house that glorifies God. This will be a house that exalts the king. This will be a family that accomplishes the mission that we've been called to do. We need the standard raised once again. We need a belief in this word that God knows what is best for us. 
that God knows. When he sets something as righteous and something as unrighteous, it's for your benefit. The blessing is in the boundary. The blessing was in do not eat of this tree. The boundary was not to limit them and to restrict them. It was to free them. Let the truth set you free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.